2: Hello, I'm Chris Wynn and welcome to yet another special edition of the Roku Report, where today we take you back 30 plus years, uh, which which is frightening, to probably my favourite era as a Sunderland fan. Today we have a player who came through the ranks in Division 1, Division 2 and Division 3 for Sunderland over the course of seven years, making well over 300 appearances between 1987 and 1994. He was a big hero of mine when I was young, so today... I'm privileged to be speaking to none other, Gary Alice.
3: Welcome, Gary. Thank you very much. Thank you for reminding me that was 30 years ago. Feeling it's very positive.
2: well sat here. It's frightening. Well, it, it, it's great to speak to you. Uh, hopefully today we can convince maybe some of the younger Sunland fans uh, that it is possible for Sunland to get back in the top five from our current position. We'll see where that went. Um, On that note, do you, uh, do you get along to see Sunland much these days?
3: Well, not as much as I'd like. Um, I've got to be honest. The two boys who were both born and raised in Bristol are sort of follow Sunderland avidly. Over the years, we we got along to the, the League Cup final against Man City. Been to one or two away games, Portsmouth last year. The final at Wembley again against Portsmouth, Swansea a couple of seasons ago. Seems a lifetime ago in the Premier League. Yeah, uh, that was that was a great victory that night. And uh, recently. Uh, because of our location, we, we went along to the Bristol Rovers game, stood on the, the terrace, the open end, with, with the Sunderland fans and uh, rather disappointedly uh, witnessed the 2-0 the defeat. So we, we go when we can. Obviously, I work on a Saturday as well. I sort of I cover Bristol City for BBC Radio Bristol. So um the the actual times when I'm available to, to go and watch Sunderland are, are quite limited. But still follow them week in, week out. Everybody down here is talking about the the Netflix programme, but I can't bring myself to to watch the first one. I, I feel the pain, and um, I've watched the first two of the second episode, so um, let's see. Let's see.
2: Yeah, I went through it once. I don't think I'll do it again. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll aim for this to be the last time I mentioned current events, but uh, how are you coping with the lockdown?
3: Uh, like everybody else, you, you've got to get on with it. You know, we've, we've all been set a task by the government we got we got to stay in and you know protect lives I think it's an important message none of us are enjoying our freedom being taken away I, I think the thing for me a couple of weeks ago we all football was was, was life and death and uh, here we all are now sat indoors with, with nothing to do watching the, the terrible events unfold in front of us on the TV and we realize that maybe football isn't as important. As we think it is sometimes, although, you know, we're all missing it. The thing that it is important, I think, is is in terms of our emotional, psychological and, and mental well being. We all need that that football fix. It makes us feel good sometimes. <laughs> um, it makes us feel bad a lot of the time. But um we need it and hopefully this all blow over and um, we'll all get back out there again and uh, be able to enjoy our football again. Uh, on that, let us go back to when football
2: was the most important thing in the world. And uh, what I'd like to do is start from the beginning. I think I read somewhere it was George Hurd, who was the uh, youth development officer at the time. He spotted you playing for Chesley Street under-15s and brought you to the club.
3: Yeah, I mean, it was different then in them days. It's it's not like now, if, if, if you get spotted now, the, I mean, the, you know, kids are going in at six and seven and staying there all the way through until they're playing the first team, that. That wasn't the model then. You could you could sign for a club when you were fourteen. I think I'd been away. I'd had a few trials. I'd been to Coventry, Notts County, Middlesbrough, for some reason. I, you know, it just shows that them clubs were represented in the North East, which was a was a bit of a hotbed. Sunderland had spotted us playing for, for Chesley Street, probably against Sunderland Boys. I think I think probably Lee Howie and Steve Howie and, and people like that were, were playing for Sunderland and them. Um, Went along to training. George Heard asked me to, to sign for Sunderland, and then um, I was there all the way from from fifteen until I left. I think when I was was twenty five or twenty six.
2: Was it a difficult decision because I think I'm sure you grew up a Newcastle fan.
3: Well, I did, and uh, I mean, you can't help where you're born. I always say that I was I was, <laughs> was well travelled actually. My dad who left home when I was young was in the army. I think we we sort of we lived in Lincoln. Sister was born in Lincoln. We lived in the barracks in Newcastle somewhere. Then sort of moved round um, when big began East, which was in Gateshead, and then sort of settled more really later on in in Birtley in Washington. Uh, at around the age when I when I signed for Sunderland, so uh, lots of Newcastle fans around in the family. But like I say, when you when you stay with the club as long as I did, and you know, I put my heart and soul into it. It's often levelled against us, but, you know, Sunderland, Sunderland rose my club.
2: So what were the, what was the Sunderland kind of youth setup like at the time and who were your biggest influences when you were coming through?
3: Well, I mean, George Heard was, was was a great guy, very enthusiastic. There was a, there was a Sunderland lad, a youth coach called Ian Hughes, which he was a very good coach at that time. So we sort of signed schoolboys and then we, you know, you get a decision made. Whether you're going to get an apprenticeship or not, I, I was I got an apprenticeship, and at that time, sort of, Laurie, it was a time Laurie McMenemy was manager actually. So um, Chris McMenemy come in as, as our youth coach, and again, he was um, he was only a young lad. I didn't, you don't realise at the time we were we were 16 and 17. I think Chris was only 23 or 24, and then obviously being Laurie's son, he, he had quite a bit of uh, pressure on him. He took a, a, a bit of stick now and again, I think, from 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 the first team players, but terms of, of being a coach he was he, he was a brilliant coach certainly guided me through the first couple of years of my apprenticeship up to the point where you know you, you're going to get a decision made on whether you get a professional contract or not I was I was in with a with a group of about 10 or 11 players and you know that that day come where um you had to go up and it was frightening I mean Laurie Laurie McManning was a pretty imposing figure we were we were all scared stiff of him you know he Ex sergeant major, things weren't going great, and, and you sort of kept away from the first team, if, if I'm honest. And um, to to go and sit in his his office was was quite daunting. So we up, up we went one by one. The other lads were coming down in tears. It, it wasn't a beef for them. They would all had the dream shattered. I went up, and um, I must have done all right. He he offered us a two year contract.
2: Were you ever close to getting involved in the first team under McManery? Because I think I remember you got an injury as someone relative relevant.
3: Actually, he said I would, uh, those clubs, because I know when Dennis Smith come from York, the first thing he said was, I've been trying to sign you on loan for, for, for two <laughs> years to play in this first team. So I'd actually, there was a there was a, there was a friendly, I think, over Bishop Auckland. They got beat. I mean, they, they couldn't win a game and they'd gone to play this, this game and they got beat. I'd, I'd featured in that might have been a local uh, one of the Durham County Cup games or something like that anyway I featured in that but I think when I come back in my second season or, or, or when I was 17 uh, my first season as a, as a pro they actually shattered my arm on, on the training ground and uh, I think if I hadn't done that I probably would have would have played earlier although there were a few people to be honest who said it, it wasn't a bad thing because um, I would have probably ended up playing in that team that, that got relegated and um, that might not have been the best thing for, for me at that time in terms of, you know, going into that environment. You never know, though. You could have
2: popped up with one, a goal against Gillian and
3: Well, was... I mean, that game, it's, it's funny you say that. We That game was, we sat and watched that. We, you know, we had to be there. Obviously, we were working there and we'd clean the dressing rooms and that. And we all used to turn up after our games. That was a playoff game. It was it's all different. And I remember that game. There was so much, you know, I don't remember the fences being up around Roker Park yeah. remember that there was you know it was packed with Sunderland fans it was packed with Gillingham fans and you'll know there was, and, and, and this is a sign of the times and it was a terrible thing there was a section for Newcastle fans as well because they had to come <laughs> to, to put their two worth yeah. in and uh, they had to segregate them and I remember Keith birchin scoring it was a high scoring game Keith birchin scored and he took off as if, if, if Sunderland had, had, had won the league and you know he, he'd rescued them from from relegation and I think they're still getting beat. He just he just lost count of the score. I think I have read somewhere that he didn't even know what the score was. He just thought he'd scored the winner, but, you know, it was a dreadful, it was a dreadful, dreadful thing um, at the time. And, you know, for Sunderland, massive club, massive support to to get relegated into the third division for the for the first time in history. What I wanted to ask you about the end of that season, because
2: Bob Stokoe came in. I mean, did, did he have any impact on, on the club or on you?
3: Or was he just not there no. for me? He didn't, and I've got to be honest, I mean, I, he's a legend. You know, I've, I've, I've seen all the cup final stuff, 1973, still see some of them boys. They're, they're, they're proper, you know, Jimmy Montgomery, Bobby Kerr, people like that. Fantastic people, great club people, great, great individuals. Couldn't speak highly enough of them. And I never really ever seen or met Bob Stokoe, I don't I don't think, other than he'd, he'd been around. Obviously, he was around the club now and again, he'd pop in, but thinking back it was it was sort of I think it was something done to try and lift the crowd try and get a bit of belief in the crowd he was, he was a figurehead I think he'd probably been out the game a long time he, he took Chris in as his assistant I think he he knew more you know he, he knew more about the players that had been left behind by his father I mean, it, obviously it didn't have the desired effect but in terms of dealing with with the young players and that, I think he, he was there to concentrate on the senior players and, and somehow try and perform a miracle to, to get them out of that relegation playoff game, which obviously he couldn't do.
2: Well, it ended in uh, it did end in relegation, and uh, appeared from the outside that summer of that and you know, Dennis Smith walked in and picked the club up by the scruff of the neck. I mean, was that the case when he first joined? He with, did. With...
3: I mean, he did. And and, let, and let's be honest, you know, I, I, everyone, Laurie McManamy got slayed at the time, and and. He was, in terms of my relationship with him, and I didn't have a, a massive one, but he knew who I was and, and he was good to me. He recognised that I had something and, and he gave me the chance to stay there. And Obviously, when he would left, he left me in a position of having, having a two-year contract, obviously, as well. His son, Chris, had, had been influential in my development. Dennis walked through the door pretty much straight away. Small squad, loads of young players in the team, I mean, I mean, it's incredible. You, you go through, the, I look at some of the team photos and there's only like 16 or 17 players on the team photo and I think, where, where's everybody else? Like, you look at the team photos now and there's like 30 or 40 people in them. But, yeah. um, you know, we, we took off, I think we had we had 5 preseason games. I think we, we won them all even though we were, I think, I remember, but I think we played Riot and Harrogate. And, you know, we weren't like going and playing great teams but I just think it was quite clever he got us together quickly. We we got a bit of confidence. I I was involved in the games. You know, I'd started coming to pre season. There's no way that I thought that at the start of preseason I was I was gonna make me my debut in the in the first league game. That was just you know wasn't on my mind. I was thinking about trying to hopefully at some point break into the first team, maybe catch someone's eye in the reserves and and, and, and get a loan somewhere in the league. Yeah. But um you know we got the opening Game against Brentford and pretty early in the week, he'd, he told us I was going to be playing, which was which was unbelievable. Yeah, I was going to say so. You know, obviously Sunland's now in the third
2: division, opening day of the season, fifteenth of August, nineteen eighty-seven. You make your full debut for the club. Uh, you're eighteen years old. It's away to Brentford, and we win one 0 through a
3: goal from Keith Burton. I mean, that must have been yeah, you celebrate a huge celebrate That was, celebrate that, one. That, was a, that was a winning goal. <laughs> thankfully for Keith. <laughs> Actually that's a good that's a good point that I have I'm never thought about that. He might have scored uh, could be a quiz question and unless yeah. anyone scored after him, he might have scored the last goal in the second division and the first goal in the third division.
2: Yeah. I mean what what are your memories of, of your debut that day?
3: Well we travelled down overnight. I know that we stayed in a hotel beside Heathrow because in the morning we got up and had breakfast. I think I might have shared a room with John K and it it was just yeah, I remember the aeroplanes, you know, we sat outside and the aeroplanes were going across one after another and they were like you only seemed like they were 200 feet above the hotel, so God knows how we'd, I'd slept the night before but I just remember it being really, really hot uh, very hot and I played left wing, so I'd, 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 I'd found myself positioned left wing somehow being quite a tight game I remember Keith's goal, soaring header if I remember correctly and then I mean the last thing I remember I think it was probably 76 minutes or something I got this pain in my calf which i would never had before and it was it was cramp obviously <laughs> the, the nerves and the dehydration and, and the occasion it got to us and I, I I think I probably went off I'm not sure I think I probably went off after about 76 minutes with cramp but went off feeling very very happy with myself and I think I'd earned my first appearance bonus and my, my first win bonus
2: <laughs> well, you were joined that day. You mentioned you said a room with John k i mean, it was he made his debut that day, and so did John McPhail. So these were players that Dennis Smith started to to bring in. And I mean, look with those characters were just mentioned. I mean, football was a very different place back then. Was that <laughs> well, was that a difficult dressing room to come in at, no, at
3: that uh, age? Do you know what? That, it's that was the best thing. Like you, you talk about the football, the games, all of that. For me, the best things. It, it was it was the team spirit you know them lads we did everything together we went everywhere together we spent hours on the bus traveling we spent hours in each other's company in hotels staying overnight we went away at the end of the season sometimes during the season some of some of the things some of the laugh, you know that i, I think it was, it was probably the it was the happiest time in my life i've got to be honest it was brilliant um you know if I ever I'd, and I'm not not threatening to. Don't worry. If I, if I if I ever wrote a book, it probably wouldn't be on um, the football. It would be on some of the some of the things that happened outside the footballers. We had so many great characters. You know, people Casey, like you say, John McField, Gary Bennett, Eric Gates, Dickie Ord, who's, who's me big big buddy still to this day. Gordon Armstrong, later on Don Goodman and rogue and all them people. That that you know, it was just and and Dennis and Viv. Um, and later on Malcolm they were they were behind that and, and and that was I think that was why we did have some success because because of the team spirit. And actually the sad thing was when it started to fall apart, that was that was maybe one of the reasons why it did, because, you know, that spirit just sort of just started to whittle away a little bit. We'll come on to that.
2: But actually, if that's the case, if there's going to be a book like that, I mean, that's a book that has to be written, (laughs) in in my view. (laughs) I think uh, in this level, you you should get started. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but just talking about your debut, because we're at third division, and I think Sunderland might have experienced this last season. Was there a lot of pressure on Sunderland kind of winning that day, just getting into the third division? We're a big club.
3: We we need to win. He never put any pressure on us, Dennis, whatsoever. Uh, I think the pressure. it was. I don't know whether it was clever or by chance or just what happened. There was a lot of young players in the team. Like I said before, lots of local lads. They want any pressure. We. It was. It was an honour for us. It was a privilege. The support. The support's brilliant now. The support back in them days was yeah. it was scary. You know, we, we when we went away from home. Five six thousand at home, we were really well supported. So we just wanted to win. We, we got off to a good start. We hit the ground running, and um, we, we got up there pretty pretty quickly in in the proceedings, and, and stayed there, you know, all season, which was good. Yeah well, yeah, well, on that point, I mean, we talked
2: about the impact of Dennis Smith, um, but actually, we didn't actually get off to the the best of starts. We won, we only won three of the first nine. And we found ourselves. Well,
3: it shows how good my memory is. Just... <laughs>
2: <laughs> we we were actually uh, twelve towards the end of September. Um, but two things happened around that time that probably had a big bearing on the course of the season. The well, first, I don't know was...
3: what you're going to say, one is yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think you signed Marco.
2: Yeah, we did that. That was that was the second one. But I'd actually say the first one was Keith Burton picking up an injury that gave Eric Gates a chance to get back in, and then we combined those two, kind of probably by bit by design, a bit by chance. Then we go on to win the next six through kind of October, December, uh, November, and we never really look back. Won the third division title. But was it
3: those two things happening? You think that just got us going? Marco had a massive influence when he when he came in. Cocky, to be honest. Very, very confident. Different type of player. I think he played against Sunderland the season before in a cup game. And he's only a young lad. If I remember, he played up front with, was it Keith Walwyn. And uh, Dennis was a manager, so he knew him very well. He knew he knew what he was getting. You know, he could he could win a game on his own. He'd, he'd always tell you that. You know, Marco would always tell you it was it was he was the best player. And but um, more often than not, in fairness, he was. But Getty was Getty looked after me in all honesty, and I'll you know I loved him a bit, Eric. He'd he'd I used to sit beside him in the first team dressing room when I'd gone from sitting in the sort of youth team and, and reserve team dressing room, you move up, it's a big thing and you you don't like get given a, a peg. You've got to go and find one yourself. So you sort of like, <laughs> it, well, in fairness, it was a little bit easier in them days because you're getting rid of most of the team from the season before. So there was lots of space in the dressing room. But I picked one, I think, in between Eric and, and Ruben Agbula. And Eric sort of took us under his arm a little bit and uh, spent a lot of time with his talking to us and fair play to him because he, he'd been there he'd come from Ipswich big reputation he'd been an excellent player played in Europe with Ipswich top quality player played for England and he'd had a tough time and he stuck it out you know he stuck it out he showed his character he showed what a, what an excellent player he was and obviously I think they were good for each other because if you got the ball into Eric's feet which you had to because that, that's he made it easy for me he used to say it to me and he said the first thing he'd say to us which is when you get the ball, all I want you to do is look for me. He says, and if you pass it to my feet, I'll give you a pat on the back. He says, and if you don't, I'm going to give you a ball again. So it was easy. So I thought, because you're good more than Eric as well. So I'd get the ball and I think I'd give it to Eric. Everyone would give it to Eric. He'd get on the half turn. So I had them big calves because he used to get kicked in those days off the off the centre halves. And he get on the half turn and he just flicked it in behind the centre halves. None of them were ever as quick as Marco and... You know, Mark would would end up smashing it in the back of the net, and it sounds pretty simple and straightforward. But I mean, Matt, if you see lots of the goals, I'm sure that's that's how they play out. I think people
2: forget sometimes that football is a simple game. There was a story in Dennis Smith's book. I mean, along the same lines as what you just said there, where when Burton got injured, he had a word with Eric Gates, and Eric Gates just turned around and said, "If you get the ball into my feet, I've watched Mark I'll just I'll just stick him
3: in, and he can do the rest." <laughs> that's pretty he much all. How- he did. I mean, he was, he was a great guy, Eric. And he's still around up there when I go up there it's, it's always lovely to, to bump into him funny as you like tells the best stories ever you know he used to he used to tell a story he'd have everyone hanging on every word and he'd always start laughing at his own jokes and his own stories which which made them even more entertaining but um, you know top, top class player top, top player and to be bit, fair it's it's a bit unfair on, on Keith Burchin as well because he, he was a, he was a great player really good pro had a good career um, and, and sometimes in football, it's, it's just how these things pan out. Yeah, yeah I've been to a couple
2: of talkings with with Eric Gates and they're always, they're always good fun. But yeah, you're right. I mean, he took he took a lot of stick, but it ended up kind of a hero when uh, when he did finally mm-hmm. leave. Um, and he uh, said he was brilliant during the season. We went on to kind of romp home with it, the third division, win the title, got promotion to Division 2. And we, we get the trophy um, at the end of your season, the first season as a professional in front of 29,000 at Roper Park against Northampton Town. I mean, for your first full season as a professional footballer, 18, 19 years old, you started 43 games in all competitions uh, that season. So I mean, that's a pretty special start to your Sunland career and a great way to end it uh, at Roper picking up the trophy.
3: It was. I have to admit, I, I was disappointed because I, I broke my foot towards the end of the season I and mean, it cost us a lot. I think I'd been called up to one of the England youth squads, so I missed out on that, and I, I, I missed out on on the Northampton game. Obviously, full house, and I've I've seen a few pictures and sat sat in the dugout, and uh, you know, and again in those days, it, was, it used to be the manager, the physio, the assistant, the, the assistant manager, of the coach which was buzzer, and the, and the sub. I think there was only one sub. There was only one sub in them days. It's incredible, really. And, yeah. the, and then the next season, there might have been when they started having. So, so you had a bit a bit of company but yeah it, w- it was brilliant and, and and you don't realize it to win a league it, it, any even though we were a massive club we were expected to to win it it's a massive achievement to win any league you know you, you've got to play all them games small squads the squads are really small you've, you've got to spend a lot of time on the pitch I don't, I don't know I, I don't get the modern game where they get rested because they're tired the, when we only had one sub, the sub the sub never got on, or you, yeah. you never seemed to get injured. Off you had an injury, you played through it. Where now they've got umpteen subs, and you know they have to make so many substitutions. It's 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 incredible when you think back,
2: really. Well, actually, you mentioned that that Northampton game. It was uh, Richard Oden, John forth on the bench, and you know three one up party time. <laughs> We're going to get the trophy, and Dennis Smith doesn't bring either of them on. <laughs>
3: that was he's probably trying to save appearance money probably going to cost him a few quid and win bonuses so he's probably trying to save it for the chairman but no I mean if you think goodness me Dickie must have been probably 17 and Coney must have been a year older than me probably 19 or 20 so it just shows how young a squad we were
2: well I mean what an achievement though to do that first time of asking Um, I know you you did have some good senior pros like we've mentioned Gates, Bennett I mean Agboula was in there McPhail was in there Frank
3: Dre another yeah, player. Frank excellent. Greer,
2: um, Ian Hesford in goal, but, you know, you're mixing that up with you know, likes of yourself, Alexa Gordon Armstrong, Marco Gabardini, Colin Pasco came in late in the season, and um, there's some, I mean, John Keir was, what, 23, 24 at the time, so, I mean, but a fantastic achievement that bounced straight back up.
3: No, it was great, like I said, God, if only Sunderland could have done it the second time, they'd been relegated to the same level, and that's the pressure that they're under at the moment. But, like I said, I, we, we didn't feel pressure, but the, the club, was probably under pressure and the fans stuck with us they they didn't expect us to ever be at that level and, and thankfully for them we got through it and you know we worked our way quite quickly through however it happened to, to get back in the top division
2: yeah i think as big as the achievement just to bounce straight back up into the second division the following season we kind of consolidated our position in division two by finishing 11th and we had a had a kind of a flirt with the playoffs around Christmas but kind of fell away to, to 11th. Um, and you have a second season in a row where you play over 40 games in all competitions. So now you've, you've made almost 100 appearances before your 19th birthday. Uh, Gordon Armstrong, who's a year older, has played about 150 games before his 20th birthday,
3: which is pretty amazing. Well, it, it is. The modern and, game. It is. And again, if, if you relate that to the modern game, you won't see it. It, it doesn't happen. And, I, you know, I sit back, I'm sitting here in my garden now and, it seems like another life when I played football. You know, you said it was 30 years ago, but, you know, it was, it was pretty amazing. I, I tried to so sort my my lad, my youngest son, he's, he's just got his first contract at Bristol City. He's just got a three-year contract. So I try and explain to him that when I was his age, I was, I was playing in the first team for Sunderland every weekend. He, he can't believe it. It's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, but do you think
2: that, for you, for the likes of yourself and going on strength, do you think that was too much football at that age, looking back
3: now? Yes, but no, I mean, we didn't have any option we wouldn't have had it any other way. We wanted to play every week. I mean, the thing was now is I played till I was 34 in in the league. If it it was now, if we come into the game now, we we both wouldn't have played as many games at that age, but we probably both would have played until we were 40 because we used to, you know, we weren't just putting it in. We trained so hard. Every training session was like a game. You know, we were running our cobblers off during the week and then, weren't resting and we probably did overtrain but um, you know it was you had, to, you had to learn on your feet we're young men we got through it we got we got help from the senior pros which was amazing when you think of somebody like say people like Eric Gates and, and Frank Gray helping you we, we were fortunate and um, we, we got a lot of experience pretty early on in, in our careers
2: yeah an amazing amazing amount of, of football but uh, going into the following season in division two we finished 11th the season before. Um, Newcastle and Middlesbrough came down to join us from the first division. They were relegated. There was Leeds in there, West Ham. There were some big clubs looking at getting promoted back to the first division that season. By this point, we've added Tony Norman and Colin Pascoe, uh, who were the kind of big signings since we were in the third division. And then we had Paul Hardiman during that summer. But was it that season, was it a clear aim to get promoted, even though we'd just been in the third division?
3: I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think... I don't recall... Ever having a meeting at the start of the season where anybody ever said, right, we've got to win promotion this season or we're going to try. And it was like we were never put under that pressure. We are always under pressure because of the size of the club and the supporters craved that we got back to the top division because because of the proud history of the club. I suppose it's one of them stupid things you see in football is that we just we wait for the games to, to come around and we just got on with it when the games come. You know, there were times... During those first three seasons Where once we got on a roll That's when we were at our best And I think that probably happened That season Towards the end of the season If I remember Well early that
2: season We went out and signed Paul Bracewell Just how big a signing Was that for the club That
3: season And what impact did he have On your game that yeah. Well I've got to be honest he, he had a big impact On me as a person He was another player who, who did a lot for us I'd had a few problems At home And he you know, there were times when I was actually staying with Paul. So that was, I was always thankful to Paul and his wife for, for sort of uh, looking after us during that difficult period. He was a quality player. We'd, we'd seen him, obviously, feature for England. He'd struggled with injury. He was very much his own man. And I don't think he'd ever mind me saying that. He sort of looked after himself in terms of how he was as a professional. So he kept himself fit. He ate the right things. But he was also quite ruthless as a person, and the, he wanted the best, he wanted to play in the best possible team, and he had high standards. There were, t- there were times when, when everybody probably didn't appreciate some of the things he, he did or said, but he was an excellent player for Sun London and had a massive influence at the time. He's one of the best midfielders I've seen play for Sunland. Um, and for, and for and somebody that couldn't run, if he could ever run in his life, he would have been top, top class.
2: Yeah, see the old videos of when he played for, for Everton, and he's he's almost like a Frank Lampard type. He's kind of box to box. He was he was the yeah. first in the box almost ahead of the strikers. I mean, if he didn't get injured, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, he yeah. Had
3: done done terrible, terrible ankle injuries and uh, But it, it was again credit to him how he he got himself. He understood his body. He knew what he could do and what he couldn't do, and um he
2: managed that. Yeah, Well, around that time, actually, um, you are also called up to the England Under-21 squad. So how, how was that experience? Was it um, Dave Sexton at the time? Yeah, Dave Sexton being been called up.
3: I, I was really unlucky on that front, to be honest. I'd been called up the season before for England Under-20s. They were going to play in the Under-20 World Cup in Brazil. I think Marco, Marco might have went, actually. We'd both been called up. I had, Dave, at the end Dave. of the season, had got an ingrown toenail, which got infected and, and really turned quite nasty on us. So I sort of spent the summer in, in Magaluf, walking around in flip-flops with the rest of the team, rather than in, on the beach in Rio with England. But anyway, I got a, got a chance, got a, got a late call-up, oh. and we were going to Poland. So I can't remember how did I... Went down to Luton, actually travelled down to Luton Airport, all very, very quickly. Got on the plane, looking down on the plane, there's like... Terry Butcher, Steve McMahon, Peter Shilton, Brian Robson, all these people. I'm sat there, and I was like, I was a bit starstruck, to be honest. We then separated at the airport. But one thing I, I remember at the airport, we arrived in Poland, Katowice, I think, and Bobby Robson was the England manager. And obviously there was, there's always sort of late call-ups to both the squads because because of injuries on the weekend or or the, or the preceding game. So the lads that have been called up late now as one of them didn't have visas for Poland, so we were sort of denied access initially. So we all sat in this little room in Poland, and um, in walks Bobby Robson, and he thinks what's in. What? And, and Bobby Robson sat sat with us. There was three, I can't remember who the other was, about three or four of us, and he come in and he sat with us, and it must have been well over an hour, and he would not go through um, with the rest of the team until every one of his players had been cleared. And I thought that you know at the time that was that was unbelievable. I'm thinking. I'm sat in this room with Bobby Robson and he's he's waiting for me to take yeah. me through. And and that was, you know, he, he was a d- tremendous man. So we had, uh, I think we, we separated. We played first. I never, I was on the bench, never got on. So that meant I didn't get a cap. But I think I think we won our game, I think 3-0. I'm trying to think who, who played in, in the team. Probably uh, Gaza, if I recall. Gascoigne, Merson, David Batty. I think I shared a room with Brian Dean, or yeah, with Brian Dean in in Poland for one night, um, and I can't remember much more other than the fact that we had to go to the the, the full the senior game on the next night. And I think England had to get a point to qualify for the World Cup. We arrived in this stadium, and obviously the the, the Polish shot going absolutely mental, like proper in those days, proper football hooligans everywhere. We get off in all our England and basically attacked. With straight away with with wooden planks and everything, so we get put in this in the stadium inside the ground in the middle of all the Polish supporters fearing for our lives, and it was it was humble. And we're watching the game. If Poland had won, they would have went through instead of England. And I think about 20 seconds left, it's one of their midfielders had a shot from about 30 yards, which smacked across Peter Shilton's crossbar. Had gone in, England would have been out, but they got the point. I think got through and. Um, I think it's fair to say that some of them senior lads sank a few drinks <laughs> on the way back. Um, Gaza like the Bailey's at that point and, and entertained everyone from the front row. But it was it was sort of a famous flight, I think, in terms of Brian Robson got up halfway through the flight and um, <laughs> made a speech, sort of pretty much nailing the British sports press. So we're all sat at the back of the playing so uh um, <laughs> probably eating a little bit of humble pie because uh the abuse that they'd leveled it at Bobby Rob's good timing for being in the under twenty one squad you go to see all that well it was like I say you take it all in you know yeah. it's like who are all these people and um people like you watch on TV you, you
2: sit sitting beside it was it was incredible. That was the game, when she the polling game that was the game after the Sweden one when Butcher had was all kind of covered in blood and had the headband on and sure that was the game before that one um but yeah and and also that year just I think it wasn't that too long after the under 21 call up um it was also the year that uh gary bennett and david speedy had a had a small disagreement and well it did david speedy being in the clock stand paddocks
3: it did and i, I still watch that and uh <laughs> the referee actually david allenson is he's in charge of the rest now and, and every time i bump into him he recalls that moment but it's, it's unbelievable. You see that now in the television camera couldn't have been a better place, really, could it? Because I mean, he was he was he was good player, David Speedy. That was a quarter final, wasn't it? I was I think that was, yes, a quarterfinal, it was. League it was. Cup quarter final. Again, it shows how close That's we were nice. to to getting some success. We, we we should have we should have beat them that night. Obviously, that that happened. Speedy went into the clock stand paddock, and uh, him and, and, and Benno were sent off. Actually, it had it had bigger consequences for me because in the second leg, oh, it was a second leg it was a replay wasn't it it was a replay we we went to yeah, Highfield road and pretty early in the game actually I'd gone for a ball with David Speedy so there was a bit of aggravation it was never like he wasn't singled out or it was like just be aware he'll he'll try and suck you in and I I, I brushed past him I won the ball and as I brushed past him I stuck my arm out he went down like a, a sack of and I got a red card and then obviously we went down to 10 men I think we lost 5-0 we lost yeah, by I got I got battered by Dennis, obviously find a couple of weeks wages, but um, yeah, that was a big big disappointment. Yeah, it was a
2: big game, it was a good crowd as well and, and
3: at Rockef. Yeah, well yeah, again it was it was uh, you know, never gets spoken about ever, really. You think oh, that was that was a quarter final. What's that the yeah. So we were yeah. you know, we were very close again. We had a pretty awful record in the
2: League Cup and that, that was pretty much the closest we got for about 20 years Well,
3: not that because I'd in the final in 1985. We, I was a schoolboy yeah, at the time. We'd, we'd all travel down to watch that and um, see another another disappointment at Wembley for Sunderland. <laughs>
2: we'll, 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 come on to, we'll come on to another Wembley appearance in a minute because we'll get to the business end because we, we ended up finishing uh, sixth to that season, of course, and that means the playoffs. Now, the playoffs are always huge but this time, our opponents were Newcastle United in the semi-finals. Yeah. They finished third. It was billed as the one of the biggest games between the two sides in history, and I wouldn't like to imagine the build-up in the modern day. But how was it back in May 1990?
3: Well, it was it was, it was brilliant. Just how it worked out. It it was unbelievable, really. The, I mean, there's always that rivalry, but in terms of the the games itself, how the games panned out. That the first game was was very very tight, very. Very tense, pretty violent at times. I would have to say there was, there was quite a few well contested tackles <laughs> all over the pitch. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's 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 one on YouTube. I think I make on, on Mark Stimson in the in the second half. But actually, I think I, I rem- I, I've either dreamt this or I've made this up. <laughs> I don't think I have. I, I think this is this is how I recall it because. In those days, you could pretty much guess what what teams are gonna do from the kickoff. So we're all revved up. You know, the, I'm in front of the clock stand, paddock, and they're all like, you know, they they'd all be cheering you on and, and, and trying to get you up for the game. Not that you needed it for that game. And so I knew. I kicked off, and you can check this if you've got the video, check it. And then if if it didn't happen, I'm a total liar, and I'm thinking about the second <laughs> challenge, but. I knew that when they kicked off, the ball was going to go to the left-back, Mark Stimson. So we're all lined up. And I think I probably set off about three seconds before the ref blew his whistle. So I'm thinking, I've set off here. Surely then I'm going to pass it back to the left-back. Because if he does, he might have a little bit of a problem. Anyway, my eyes light up because what do they do? They pass it straight at the left-back. So he has got to have a touch. He's either got to just kick it, first time which he won't because that's not going to look too good from the kickoff and have it, and I think if he has a touch, I'm getting so he has a touch and I think right. He's had a touch. And I know, I know that I'm taking <laughs> off now. And I'm it's not a tackle, it's more like a long jump. So I'm, I'm I'm sort of taking off now. And I know that as soon as he kicks the ball, I'm going to get there at exactly the same time as he tries to kick the ball. So I'm thinking he might have a problem because I'm I'm going in low and hard. my stood her up a little bit maybe. And I'm going to get full contact on the ball. He's kicking it. And and he's going to kick through my studs. So anyway, it happens. And I get there and there's a thud. So I think, oh, God, get in. You hear the cheer from the crowd. So I'm like, I've gone in low. I've shut my eyes. And um, I've sort of opened them. And I am open my eyes. I think, where's he gone? He's Disappeared, (laughs) right? So, you know, if you think I'm on the floor and the left back was there a second ago and now he's not there, (laughs) I'm thinking, where's he gone? So you know, like when you sat and you gone the day, like the day, and like a cloud goes over, and, and the cloud, the shadow goes <laughs> over, and it, it, so I felt this shadow go over my head, <laughs> and I just looked up and I seen Mark Stimson doing a somersault over my head, I he was, <laughs> and I think well that, that was it. probably I've probably got put put a marker down early in the game, but there was um, there was another one exactly the same in the second half, but the ball was bouncing. And it was him again. And, and to be fair, he, he went for them both. And when when the second game come round, he made sure he got a couple in on me early, <laughs> I can tell you. But as yeah, just time and you, you get on the ball and there's, you know, thunderous tackles that, that were part of the game then. But yeah. you wouldn't see them anymore now. You'd, you'd be sent straight off. So that anyway, the first game, everyone knows we, we got a late penalty. John Burridge saved it. Paul Audiman then sort of tried to kick John Burridge's head <laughs> into the back of the pole will end. Got a red yep. card. And we were come off nil-nil, was it? Nil yep. nil. And gonna obviously go to St James's Park and and get hammered. But, <laughs> and we had to listen to that for for a couple of days.
2: Actually, just on that, I have read somewhere that after the after the first leg of Rogue, kind of, you could hear the Newcastle players celebrating as if they were already through. Well, yeah. a few players from the time have said that really fired you up, kind of straight away for that second leg. I,
3: I couldn't say that. I recall that. I'd think that they would have been well happy with getting a draw. Yeah. You know, you would be, wouldn't you? You know, that you think always think that's the hard part done. You? you always fancy yourself at home. Actually, I bet you if you look at Newcastle's home record that season as well, I bet you they hadn't lost many at home. Mickey Quinn scoring for fun. Mark McGee, yeah. I think. But well, um, a Way record that year is incredible. Yeah, but we you know, we have been on a run, like I said before. I think we had gone into them games on a winning away from home for fun, you know, and, and spirit was spirit was high, we're having the time of our lives. Obviously this is this is crunch time, isn't it? So I remember the night what I remember, horrible night, pitch, like awful, soaking wet, you'd think would it be played in, in the modern day. We go out there, get off to a good start. I think it was down the right hand side, I sort of chased the ball. Just got there. We bounced up a little bit awkward. I managed to hook it in. <laughs> Gatesy, who who hadn't probably hadn't scored, I don't think he hadn't scored for a few games. Gets on the end of it. He's he's delighted. We get off to a good start. You know they they tried hard. It, we were, actually we 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 were excellent. I think we played excellent. We defended excellent. Tony Norman made all the saves. He had to. May, Veno, who's probably Monty as well, a back four, just stood firm. We always looked like we'd catch him on the break. And and that's what we did. Obviously, the second goal, if you see it, is 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 that typical Gates Gabbiadini combination that we we're talking about earlier. I think gets played into it. he just flips it behind. Margot pace and power and it's it's all over. Unbelievable. We we think we are through. We we probably, you know, we knew we were obviously when I say that we weren't anticipating what happened next we probably were because <laughs> we had been told that there's no way that you're either getting out of here alive tonight boys or winning the game <laughs> so on they come sort of they're all running on towards uh, the losers' end where all the I mean the Sunderland fans that end that end I, that, I don't know how they got all them Sunderland fans into that end and they stood there and it's pouring down they've got absolutely soaked but yeah. all these new stuff, but they're running on and they're they're like they're running on, and it's like, well, we're gonna we get across the halfway line. This it looks like they're thinking, oh dear, what what we're going to do now? So anyway, George Courtney, who was a ref, he was calm, calmest man on the pitch. He, he'd sort of taken us off, and um, there's a few new, players probably saying, oh, you can't let this happen. You, you've got to abandon it. And George Courtney, and I've said it before, and I, he says, listen, I'm gonna stay here. He had the ball behind his back. He said, "I'm going to stay here all night." He says, "I'm not bothered if there's no one in the ground when we finish this game, but we're going to finish this game." So that sort of reassured us. I'm now I'm on I'm on the right wing in the second half. I've got cramp, so I'm thinking I've <laughs> I've, I've run myself into the ground. I had a, I think I had a good chance second half. Keep in I had a couple of good chances actually in the game. Probably should have scored. I'm thinking right there. George had said later in the game there's, there's three minutes left I'll give you three minute warning when it gets down to the last 30 seconds I'll tell you start preparing to get off the pitch so he played about <laughs> a minute he played about a minute and blew his whistle and legged it <laughs> so I'm like on the far side trying to get off everybody's like it's like you know it's like the old cricket test everyone's running down the tunnel every man for themselves and you know, you can look back, I look back and I laugh now. I, I think Monty gets a kick up the arse, uh, one or two of the <laughs> other lads get get it, the, the sneaky clip around the air. I think I got off, I was quite fortunate, I got off unscathed. And, um, you know, you go into the dressing room and, uh, you know, it was just an unbelievable place to be. Best best dressing room yeah. I've ever been in, ever, after, after a game. It was, you know, we'd, we'd done it. Um, not only, you know... We'd, we were going to the final. Not only were we going to the final, and um, we had a chance of promotion. We'd done it by by beating Newcastle. And the worst thing about it was the fact that the police wouldn't let us back out. They wouldn't let us back down the tunnel, probably for our own safety. But to go out and it would have been to to go and celebrate with the fans at the end of that game would have been unbelievable. We, we sort of, we denied that, but. I, I think we're happy. You know, it was uh, it was an unbelievable night. We we piled on the bus. The bus went straight from St. James's Park. So, if you think that when we went to the game, there's there's probably the players on there, the staff, the management, a couple of players, maybe it's 20. I reckon right, when it left St. James's Park to go, and it went, it didn't go to the drum. I think it went straight to Fino's, pulled up <laughs> Fino's. Seriously, there must have been 60 people on that bus. It was swing, and we we all had them white Hummel tracksuits on with a, with yeah. a whatever coloured bottoms, and I tell you yeah. what, they look great in Fino's under them neon lights. <laughs> <laughs> but we we had like we had the best we had the best night of our lives, and it's one of them where you wake up the next day and 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 you're filled with with elation and you're proud and you're just trying to reflect on on what had happened. It, it actually probably took. Two or three days, you normally you get high when you're in football, and that's what I miss. You know, you get high, you get buzz. Nothing else can give you it. And um, certainly, when you finish playing, you miss it. But I think that that one went on for days and days, and um, and rightly so. We, you know, we again the spirit. We're having the time of our lives. We just won the biggest game in recent times, the biggest game that many of us had played in, and um, you know, we're all pleased to do it. You say you
2: say days and days. I'd say years and years.
3: Yeah, well maybe. maybe. It's so one
2: of the most famous nights in Sunderland's history. For his it was.
3: After. It was. It's you know it's, it's a shame it's 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 never really recognised, is it? It's it's spoken about. Um. Yeah. And, and actually, it was it was probably when I look back, it was it was probably one of my best ever games. I think mm. for Sunderland, so I'm, I'm quite pleased about that.
2: Yeah. And actually, I mean, just as a little side issue for that second leg. And Dennis Smith seemed to pull a rabbit out of his hat because he pulled in Warren Hawk from nowhere for the game and put
3: him in the starting eleven. I, I, I knew he'd played Warren, um, and again he's a young player. Dennis was never, never scared to, to put anyone in the team. And however, you know, he put young players in the team. Warren Hawk, you know, he put Diggy in when he was seventeen. He would do that. Um, I, I can only think that there must have been. Well, obviously, there was one one player missing, I think, because Paul Hardiman was probably yeah. suspended. So he had to make one change. I mean, that, you obviously had to settle down and everyone had to
2: settle down because we had the finals still to play. And it was actually the first year it was played as a one-off game at Wembley because it had been two legs uh, before then. But, you know, your uh, second or third full season, you know, we'll get to Wembley. I mean, how was the build-up to that big Wembley game? Because now it's
3: billed as kind of the biggest game in football now. Yeah, well, it is, again, another people, you talk about games and I, I do bits and bobs and people speak to us and they say, oh, it's the biggest game you play. I say, oh, well, I tell them about the Newcastle game, I tell them I play in the cup final, I tell them I play in the championship and they're like, what, you played in games? I'm like, yeah, when I, before I was 23 as well and, um, mm. you know, it, the the build-up, the build-up was, I'm, I'm not, I've am not. i got to be honest and it, it's a long time ago, I, don't, I, I think something that we might have got wrong, not blaming Dennis, we actually, so you think that like, you come to the end of the season and, and and the lads like want to let off a bit of steam and and you'd wait till all the games are out the way and you go away on your end of season trip. We we went to we went to Menorca, I think, for four or five days, and it was half team building bonding, which we didn't have to do because we, yeah. we could have went to South Shields and the spirit would have been the same. But it was a bit of so sun took us away. I, I suppose it, it took us took us away from the pressure a little bit, but um, interesting. Interesting that that was sort of squeezed in between beating Newcastle and and, uh, and the playoff final. I was going to say because Bob Murray
2: um has said in an interview since that he'd had an idea that we'd kind of go up regardless of the results. I mean, did the players know any of this? Well, you <laughs> about that? Yeah, kind of going on all
3: day for a few days. We're, no, we'd heard it. It wasn't, and, and I don't want to go back because I don't know and I don't want to say anything that isn't true. But as I recall, Gordon McKee was, was Newcastle's chairman. He was also on the board at the Football League, and the Football League had this situation that was ongoing with Swindon, and it was highly embarrassing at the time. And the worst possible scenario was that uh, Swindon got to the final, which they did. I think they were probably hoping that they got knocked out in the semi-final, and that would have that would have solved the problem for them. But it didn't. Swindon were an excellent team; they got through the final. They're still left with this. This argument, and if I say that we hadn't heard rumours, I'd be lying. But we we did sort of have an inkling that that the winners of the Newcastle Sunderland game would have a chance of getting promoted if Swindon got got demoted I mean that's that's how it turned out but who knows what was going on at the time So still yeah. had to go and play the game
2: Yeah, well in, in the game itself really early on Colin Calderwood went right through Marco and he ended up kind of hobbling around for most of the game but we, we just didn't seem to get going in that game and then got uh, beat through a deflection of Gary Bennett probably could have been kind of a lot worse if it wasn't for well, Tony
3: Norman we, did, we didn't we perform We and, and in fairness it's alright to say Swindon were excellent Swindon passed it like no other team passed it back in them days I think there was a lad in midfield Ross McLaren he'd get the ball he'd just switch it to either either fullback or wingback as it was whatever system they were playing and and we really laboured Tony Norman was, was outstanding Steve White who actually probably missed about six chances I live about 200 yards from him now would you believe <laughs> so I don't speak from loads but you know it's really bizarre when you think that all those years ago we were, we were playing against each other and then um, he could have won it by himself. Tony just pulled off save after save, which kept us in it. You know, it was it was nil-nil. The game was was going on. And then I think, as you say, it was a deflected shot. Scrappy goal, really. Bit of an anti-climax, yeah. Yeah. We we got beat feeling rather sorry for ourselves. Long season over, nothing to show for it. And then pretty quickly after that, we, we got a got an inkling or we got a something, the news broke that. Swindon were out and, and we were going to get promoted I found out on, on CFAX I think cause there, was, uh, there was there was <laughs> there
2: was talk there was talk of that uh, because I think Newcastle were trying to go up like you say because they had uh, a bit of an in and uh, and I remember Ron Atkinson on the coverage for the World Cup was Sheffield Wednesday were relegated and he was saying kind of on St. Greavesy I think he was saying that they should uh, they should stay in Division 1 but I mean how did you find out that you were a First Division player? Uh,
3: Got a phone call, or it was on the news, or it was just it just seemed to happen. It was one minute we were all sat there all feeling sorry for ourselves, the next minute was go and get your white tracksuit on again and meeting and meeting and Sunderland somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's start the celebrations. But yeah. I mean, it's difficult. It, it was something that I don't think has happened since. Probably won't happen again. Well, maybe it's not something similar might happen because of what's going on at the minute. But. We were at the time, you know, we, we were flying at the end of the season. We were the team in form. I'm not saying that that means that we deserve to go up, but you know, we we felt like we'd we'd finished the season successfully. It was obviously disappointing to lose against Swindon, but you know, we were fortunate and you're never gonna turn that opportunity down, so we all got on with it.
2: Well that's it. You you're now a first division player and we were going to the first division, which is which is pretty incredible considering we were in the third division what three years earlier. Yeah. Um, I mean the job Dennis Smith did and the, the other thing to it as well I mean from the third division I mean I think you've kind of touched on it a little bit as well but all the way up to the first division it was pretty much the same group of players that did all that
3: yeah same young lads having the time of their life playing for one of the, the biggest and the best clubs in the country best supporters and um, you know we just again we just, we just got on with it we we, we played hard we'd, we'd, we'd had a little bit of success and we, in fairness, when, when we had the, the chance to enjoy it, we did. We made the most of it. Like I said, that, that group of players made friendships that, that lasted a lifetime. Really, really good times. And, and you think, where am I now at this point? 22, maybe 22. Really, really young young lad and um, playing, playing every week for Sunderland. Unbelievable.
2: Early in the season, I mean, our first two home games that season, Tottenham Hotspur, who have Lineker and Gasco and Fresh from Italian 90 then we play Manchester United at home and you get the first goal in a 2-1 winner at, at, at Roger Park um, with Gary Bennett turning into uh, Pelle in the last minute to win it. I mean, you've you got good memories of that, day.
3: Well, I have, but I should have scored the first goal against Tottenham. You know, that was a massive game. Gazza just signed for Tottenham. I think I got put through in the second half, 1v1 with Eric tosfed and I, I just nicked it and got there before him and just it just it went the wrong side of the post. But I should have scored. Uh, I think Gascoigne going hit the hit the post with a free kick at some point in the game and then obviously you think bloody hell we just got a point against Tottenham so that that gave us a bit of confidence we should have won you look at the game you're playing next you're thinking well we'd, I mean to be fair we'd lost it Norwich hadn't we we lost it yeah. Norwich opening we'd lost 3-2 you know come back in the game after being out of the game and then you think we've got Man United next like <laughs> oh and again just you, you're playing against lads Bruce Palester ints that you have been watching on the television for a couple of seasons and now you're playing against them. I know you play against one or two of them in your earlier days in, in the youth team or reserve team games. Now it's for real. The goal again, I think across from the, the left hand side, I was I was coming in from the right. I so thought I'm just gonna just gamble, just run in the box and see what happens and, and uh got on the end of it, header, whatever, it goes in and I'm running off. I, even when I say it now, I think I've just scored against Man United. What's, like, <laughs> what's going on here? It's it's like I've just scored against Man United, <laughs> yeah. and and then I think they obviously equalized, and I, I do remember that they really got going, Man United in the second half, and, and and we were we were struggling. We were like they the really took control of the game. We were working hard, and, and that was you know one of the the, the themes. Oh, that was how we, we did work hard. We you know when we were successful, no team worked harder than us. We had a lot of players that that covered a lot of distance and and put the yards in. And and that that goal, Benno, he's a great friend of mine and um, fantastic footballer, centre-half, you know, ahead of his time when he played a ball-playing centre-half. That goal, it's still one of the best goals I've ever seen. You know, the he's he's on the left wing. You have to ask him what he's doing on the left wing for (laughs) a start because he shouldn't have been there. So, it's probably... He must have thought he was on a night out again and got lost. <laughs> so he's on the left wing when he should have been centre off, and uh, he flips it over the lad's head. And then you're thinking, well, what's he gonna? And he, you know, he picks his spot, and bends it in the corner. Yeah, it's it's it was unbelievable goal and yeah. and obviously a great great victory. Well, I'm, I'm actually sitting here.
2: I've got a big um, got a big framed signed picture of Gary Bennett stroking the ball home.
3: Have you <laughs> that, that goal?
2: Think? Looking I'm, at I'm, it now.
3: I worked out quite early on as well. Like if, if you're like, I never scored the goals myself, but if you got there quick for the celebration, you had a chance of being in the paper the next day. So <laughs> I was probably first one there when you scored. Well but I, I try was trying to see if I can get on telly.
2: <laughs> well I, I was right behind him in the in the main stand paddock. And uh, I obviously can't remember this at the time, but reading in uh, Dennis Smith's book, you uh, you actually mentioned it there. I think Dennis Smith was screaming at him <laughs> to get back. Yeah. saying what's yeah. he doing up there, in left wing and, up there. Yeah. yeah, and it was actually it was it was Gary Pallister. He flicked it inside and then struck it right into the corner. That he was it was there. brilliant. It was a, it was
3: brilliant. And and then you walk off and you think we just we had four. Po- yeah, well, was it four? It was probably only three. Was it? Was it still two points in them days? No, it was three points. Obviously. Three points. So we got four points against um, Tottenham and Man United. Not a bad week's work.
2: Brilliant. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that season, you were, uh, you ended up being the only ever present in the, in the league that season. Um, because in the summer, Dennis Smith replaced McPhail with ball, uh, Kevin Ball, and then Eric Gates with Peter Davenport. We, we still had a really small young squad. I mean, you were, you were 21, 22. Mark Gabardine was the same age. Armstrong was about 22. And then behind that, we had the likes of Richard O, Paul Williams, Brian Atkinson, Kieran Brady, David Rush, Warren Hall. Yeah, they, were, they were all 17, 18. Yeah, but we were always going to struggle with it with that squad.
3: Yeah, when you look back, it's amazing. I mean, I, like you say, I, I think I played every minute of every game, and uh, so you can probably blame me for for getting relegated if you want. But you know, it's, a, it's another proud achievement. Actually, it's you look at things, and I think I I, I stayed on the pitch and, and played every moment of all the games, and not a lot of people would would do that at any level in this day and age. But we were young, we were inexperienced, we didn't we didn't have enough. Really, over the course of the season, there were times when, when we'd get a win, and, and there were always hard earned wins at that level, playing against top quality opposition. And um, I mean, sadly, it was close. It was close at the end of the season, but obviously we, we didn't do enough and, and, and uh, we got relegated. For a decent chunk of that season, Dennis Smith moved you back to right back,
2: and you had games on the right, on the left, you mentioned, in the middle. But at one point, Dennis Smith came out and said he thought you were actually a future England right-back. Uh, but do you think changing positions like
3: that worked against you end? Again? Possibly. Think back. Like I said, I made my debut on the left wing. So for Sunderland, I played left wing, right wing, right back, centre midfield. And uh, I remember playing left-back against Crystal Palace and John Solarko one evening. You know, I probably should have stood up for myself a little bit more because I was in, in terms of having games under my belt and I probably could have went in and said look I, I want to play I always felt my best position was, was in the middle of the pitch and, and when he come out and, and made that statement I'd probably hit the ground running, give them something different. We weren't really playing wing backs at that time although they weren't far away if we were playing a sort of wing back position at that time that might have suited us but I, I basically, I was I did what I was told. You know, I wanted to play. I was asked to play in different positions for the team and, and for the club, and um, often I did.
2: I mean, you, you kind of touched on there with kind of wing backs, but one comment I wanted to make about those that side with under Dennis Smith is especially in this season in the first division, we always played good football under Dennis Smith. We had a lot of people commenting on on how. You know, well, we played the game that year and we just attacked. I mean, was that always the message from.
3: I can't remember ever, I can't remember Dennis ever going into a game and saying, we'll try and get a draw or we'll. And, I, you know, he, he, he believed in his team. He made you feel good and, and buzzer and then Croser as well when he was involved. And it was, I think, actually, it, it might have been our downfall. It was we, we did go and try and win every game. It doesn't matter. You know, we went to Anfield and had a go. and I, I scored an own goal. But I, I remember going to, to, to Tottenham. I think it was Christmas. And it was it was one of the best games of the season. Sunderland fans got there late, a lot of them, because of, of the bad weather. We went to Tottenham and we played them off the park. I think we, we went 2-0 up, nearly three. I'd, again, uh, I sort of had a, a shot from probably about 40 yards, I think. Tried to chip the keeper I thought was going in. Toss fed saved it. Tottenham made a made a late sub. I think Paul Walsh come on as he had done at that time a few times for them. Changed the game. Anyway, I think it, Tottenham ended up being three three two up, and, and we come back and, and drew three three. But that was epitomised what we were trying to do. We, we 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 feared no one. We were going to Tottenham. Paul Gascoigne, Gary Linegar, Whoever and and we're going to try and win. You would never go back and you can't change history. Maybe it's if we if we'd been a little bit more defensive, things things might have been different. It was, it was a little bit kind of frustrating
2: looking back and maybe a kind of consequence of the young squad. But it, there was a, someone made a comment about some of that season uh, that season, saying uh, we lost more leads than Inspector Clouseau because we uh, we actually managed to lose eleven games that season where we took the lead.
3: Well, it shows that we were trying to win games. Yeah. and it's the first time I've ever heard that, so that's that's really interesting. And um, again, just sort of backs backs that up. If, if we'd been a different type of team, maybe history might have been different, but it's not.
2: We get to the final day of the season, and we still we still had half a chance of staying up. But I think I think what happened was I think the fans showed the appreciation to the players and and Dennis Smith and the backroom staff that day. Uh, we made it feel like a home game. But I think even though we, we ended up getting relegated on that day. I think the players were treated like heroes despite the fact we went down. And I think it was it's a bit of an emotional day for everyone that,
3: that day. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I mean, just leading up to that, I think the week before, we'd, we'd drawn with Arsenal, didn't we? In, on the live game. I'd, again, had a chance. Played a 1-2 with Marco on the edge of the box. Tried to bend one in the top corner. And I'm thinking, it's in, it's in, it's in. David Seaman got a fingernail on it. And um, that was crucial, I think. I don't read many books, only the ones where people slag us off, but actually, (laughs) David Seaman wrote about that save in his book and said it was one of the best saves that he ever made. If if that had gone in, things might have been different for us, but we, you know, we we went to to Main Road and that 15, it was, I've I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen, I've never seen support like it again, unless the the cup finals or do we ever see support like that again? 15,000, we were, were heroes again. We took the lead. I think we took the lead. Great goal. I think I know. I made a, I made a big mistake in the game, uh, slashing at a ball that I should have. You know, was just caught up in the in the emotion of the game, and um, proved costly. Yeah, and it was sad really because you know we, we'd been on a roll and and we we weren't used to to not being successful. We played a couple of seasons where we won most weeks. We learnt a lot during the season. If we'd managed to to stay up, I think we would have been much better for it. And obviously that was that was the point at, at which things maybe started to change for us. Started going a bit downhill
2: uh following season went you know, a poor start and uh Marco was sold fairly early on. I mean, did that seem inevitable that Marco or maybe even a few others, you know, like yourself or Gordon Armstrong would leave after we went straight back down?
3: Yeah, I never, I, you know, there was stuff going on, and I'd never asked to move. I'd never, I didn't have an agent. I wasn't, you know, Dennis had looked after us. I, I knew that actually when Marco went to Palace, I'd, I'd been dragged in. Dennis had said, "You're going with him," and I said, "All right," but I think, and again, it's, it's funny how things. And this is true. This is true. So Dennis, I goes in the office. He went. was going to Palace. You're going with him, but we're trying to do a swap for Paul Borden. Mm who's at Palace Welsh left back yeah fair enough anyway that lingered on a couple of days he says no he won't he won't come to the North East Paul Borden and anyway two weeks later he signed for Newcastle <laughs> but I play golf with Paul now he's, he's another one sort of down this way he played for Swindon so he's sort of my golf partner and, and I asked him I said by the way I says when I was going to come to Crystal Palace and you were going to come to Sunderland and you didn't come and my move broke down. Why did you not come to Sunderland? And he said, "I never heard a thing about it." <laughs> so I don't know what was going on. I mean, I have. I'd, I'd also seen Steve Coppel over the years. He, he'd always said to us, "Yeah, he try to sign you once, and uh, a few others have." Howard Wilkinson, I remember saying, he tried to sign us when he was at Leeds. There was there was plenty of speculation, but mm. I, I stayed. Didn't want to go. I, I signed at one point, I think, a four year contract, and then and, and committed committed to Sunderland. Dennis Smith
2: was sacked just before Christmas, and it, it came after a bit of a fallout between him and Viv and Busby um, before he, uh, Dennis Smith left. But did that have a huge impact on the squad? Because you'd come through all that kind of promotion and disappointment and celebration with the two of them, and then
3: that partnership split up. It was disappointing. I think it was it was one of the most disappointing things that that happened. You know, they were great, obviously great friends. The families were friendly. They'd, they'd been together for years, played together. had been at York together, had success, enjoyed many good times. Had great times with us, with the players, socially. They were, they were both unbelievable company. So I can't say that it, it wasn't a shock because it was. I mean, you know, Crozer Malcolm was, was caught in the middle, which I, I can't think was, was very nice for him. He, he'd come in, he was another great bloke. He'd work with the young players, encouraging them, doing well with the reserves. And I think pretty much one day, Dennis had decided, maybe, he's, listen, you don't know. Um, when you, sometimes you think you've got to change things. We, we'd been used to winning. We obviously weren't getting the results. Maybe Dennis felt a bit under pressure. And Dennis being Dennis, like we've already said, he was never scared to make brave decisions He'd put young players in, he'd left players out, and, and he made another brave decision. Yeah. Well, it's it. the whole decision
2: around Dennis Smith seemed a bit strange because he'd just signed on Goodman, John Byrne, and Anton Rogan. Um, but then a couple of weeks later, you know, he's got these new players, and then a couple of weeks later, he's, uh, he's got the sack. Yeah. But did the squad kind of, were the squad surprised, or was the writing on
3: the wall, do you think? Everyone was shocked when. You know, for for Dennis and, and, and Viv to fall out, well, I'm not saying they did fall out, but obviously the one minute they weren't together, the next they're not. Of course, everyone was was shocked, but, you know, you go in, you get on with it. Malcolm was a good coach. The sessions are different. It's a different voice. You know, there wasn't a problem there. The new lads come in, I have to say, three brilliant lads. Don, who's done very well for himself, end up sharing a room with Don Anton. Who I still speak to and, and John Byrne, three three brilliant lads, and um, they, they got the obviously there was plenty of banter flying around there, getting rid of the manager that had that had bought them, but they they sort of you know they stood firm and um, again they were, they were part of of what happened next and and, and a little bit of success on the way there to, to playing in the cup final. Although unfortunately for Donny, was cup tied, so he missed out on that. You missed out on a lot of that
2: because you, you didn't play in any of the cup games except the final
3: nah you're wrong because I played against Port Vale if I remember I played in the would have been the third round I played yeah. against Portville, which obviously we won. Yeah. Um, cool. Got uh, so you'll have to start, uh, sack your statistician. <laughs> <laughs> I'm done. That's me finished. <laughs> I
2: was at that game as well. <laughs> I was at that game as well. Fake news. <laughs>
3: um, yeah, well, I did. I got. I just. I got. I got an injury. It was obviously an injury that no one one knew much about at the time. People wanted to operate. I didn't do any. Have an operation. I, I chose rehabilitation very, very frustrating period and in the end I, w- I was sat about doing however many sit-ups a day like I had the best six pack in town in them days I think that's all I did all I could do was sit-ups I think Malcolm just i had been sent home and uh, Malcolm by this time I think was a uh, caretaker manager he, he just rang us up one day said what are you doing? I says I've been told to rest stay off my feet I've done, I've done nothing for like I hadn't trained for weeks and weeks he went do you feel all right? I went. I feel all right. He says, "Come in tonight. We're playing Ipswich. I'm putting you on the bench." <laughs> I'm like, "What? He, like, I've, I've been sat at home anyway." He did, and uh, we played Ipswich at home, and I think I come I come off the bench, and I think I set a goal up straight away, and sort of just got got chucked back in, got through straight back in, played a few games, um, towards the end of the season, and then obviously all this is going on while. I think we were fighting against relegation. Again, we were struggling in the league, but we had this thing going on with a with the cup. The lads had been on this brilliant um cup run. I had been to all the games. Again, the the spirit in the camp was fantastic. We'd we'd started travelling to away games on the train and that was all part of the experience. The lads had the, the we used to listen to the pogs on the bus at the end of the game and we'd all be having a sing song and a beer and, you know, it got us to the final. Obviously got Went down to Bishop Abbey again. Things that happen that like you think, oh I tell people I think you're making this up. So we traveled down to, to Bishop Abbey and we're watching what's that film? Um You're all under arrest. Naked gun. Naked uh, gun. All right, yeah, cool. So we're watching that. We're watching that film all the way down. We're having a little we're having a little after that and, and we'll get to the having our evening meal. And the bloke, the star, Leslie, is it Leslie Nielsen? That's him. Leslie yeah. Nielsen sat on the opposite table. So <laughs> where we we've just been watching this is true story. We're watching, and one of the lads goes, There's that bloke that's out of the film, Leslie Nielsen. And he was sat there having a meal with someone. He'd come over and he had a chat and we'd give him we give him a tie, and he obviously he arrested us all. You're we all under arrest, which which got a little <laughs> bit of a giggle. Um actually it wasn't the first time that happened. We'd, and the same thing happened, we, we played Stoke away. And we'd watched, we'd watched Chubby Brown on the way down. We get the hotel, and Chubby Brown walks the stairs. I can't tell you what he said to us. <laughs> but it's just like them things, like you see, you see people in hotels. But anyway, yeah. sort of off the subject a bit. We go down to Bisham Abbey. I'm sharing with Don. Don suspended, cup tied. I've been put with him at the start of the training session. Maybe looking actually something that's just. Flashed across my mind. There probably might have been a bit of thinking somewhere that would we'll put them two together. They're not going to be playing when when I when I just think back, all of a sudden. But obviously, when went down there. I'd, I'd played the last league game of the season. I think I played the last couple of league games. So I thought, well, I finished the season in the team. I'd like to think I've got a chance. Although obviously, he'd had different teams in the cup and, and all those lads that were less four that had been playing in the in the cup games would have would have been disappointed if they'd been left out, but went to Bishop Abbey, I actually picked up an ear infection again, had a couple of days in bed, really really painful, bit, bit off colour, and then it was later in the week, I think, Casey in fairness to him, and, and the mark of the man that he was, he, he'd had a calf injury and he he put his hand up, and it would have been easy for him, if he could have played in that game, he would have, so it must have been bad he would have, like, pretty selfless really, what he did, amazing if you think about you got a chance to play in the cup final and he declared himself unfit. And uh, I I probably did benefit uh, from that. You know, I think where else I could have played in midfield, probably Paul Bracewell and and Brian Atkinson had had been doing really well. Rush had been doing really well, wide on the right. So I can't say that I would have, you know, I would have fitted in there. So I don't know, maybe, yeah, maybe I was
2: slightly fortunate. So, I mean, onto the game itself, How, how... Did you find the game? Because I still think uh, about some of those moments in that first half.
3: Yeah, we had we had moments again. It was you get to Wembley. The club had managed to get it. We were staying, we were staying in Marlow. We we were staying like miles away from. We couldn't get a hotel. We couldn't get a hotel in London for some reason. <laughs> so when like, you know, like you see, you have the build up, and you used to sit and watch it. And the teams are, are going to the ground about one o'clock to get to Wembley. I think we're on the bus like at half eleven. Probably travel sick by the time we get there. We've got we've got <laughs> Tony Gubber in the helicopter flying above, and you know we had to like rush our pre-match, and like you better get on the bus now, otherwise we'll we'll be late. So I don't know I don't know how that panned out, but that was obviously something else that you know it shouldn't have happened. We should have been in London somewhere. We weren't. We were miles away. But anyway, we got there. Wembley, I remember again was almost waterlogged. And you are thinking, goodness me, it was you know it was it was really really bad. Heavy pitch, kicked off. Had a few moments, Bernie Bernie had that chance, did Half a chance for him to score in every every round, which would have been great. Didn't happen. And then we toiled in the second half. Liverpool got hold of the game. They went 2-0 up. You know, that they passed the ball round us, so we couldn't get near them. And again, disappointment at the end of it. Just recall sort of Wembley had the biggest pass in the world. Sat in one of them baths for about an hour. Just just sat there, sort of all doom and gloom, and um eventually you get yourself Ready and, and head off into the night.
2: Yeah, Liverpool showed their class in that second half. Um, it was it was pretty it was uh, pretty disappointing because they just. But uh, I mean, at this point, you're still only 23. Um, you've got about 200 appearances to your name, two promotions, one relegation, playoff final appearance uh, at Wembley, and an FA Cup of fa- appearance at Wembley.
3: I uh, played in that other game at Wembley as well. Been there three times. Uh, remember when we we're in Division Three, they had that that yeah. centenary competition. So I played in that. I'd actually played at Wembley three times. Well, we got beaten that one in the first game, oh, was that Yeah, of course we got beat. It was at Wembley. Wembley, <laughs> yeah. Well, that was, I think that was bizarre. It was, I think it was it was a 20 minute each way. We played Wigan. Yeah. Somehow we played Wigan, who'd qualified in the same league as us. So we were we were obviously favourites. And I recall um, it was a draw and it went to penalties. And, and Colin Pascoe walked up and, and as he walked up, he pointed to the corner. He said, The goalkeeper, I'm going to put it there. And he did put it there and the goalkeeper dived that way and said thank you very much. <laughs> so, that was
2: that. Yeah, it was, it was played over two days that wasn't it because I'm sure the second day um, on the first day they'd got like a big crowd and I'm sure on the second day hardly for the finals nobody turned up. It was like half a... Yeah, it
3: half a it, they did it and again they tried it and we, at least I got a new suit out of it.
2: <laughs>
3: but you squeezed
2: in to, you know, into the Course of about five years, what some players would consider kind of a whole
3: career. The amount of games you played and uh, big well, as well. This is what I don't, I don't like. I'm, I'm lucky, you know. I, like I always say, I'm lucky. I'm, uh, I tried my best. I, I put a lot into it, and people talk to us about playing for Sunderland, and, and I'm proud of my record. I think if, if you look, and I'm, I might not be exact. I think I played about 325 games, which would put us. It would put us at number twenty-five, I think, in the all-time list of appearances, which I think is, is something to be really proud of. I did that, you know. I left when I was twenty-five, and and I did that in a very short period, and it was it was a long time ago. And you um, know, people, you know, it, it it was a big number of games, and you know, you look at some of the other people that might be up there. Gordon definitely would have would have played a lot of games Mickey Gray was was coming on the scene behind me he played a lot of games so there was was a group of us that you know we, we give a lot we give a lot to the club
2: I mean after that cup final it kind of started to get a bit worse for someone but on a personal level you were still in the first team for the majority of the time but now we we'll start moving into the reins of um, of Terry Butcher and Mick Buxton. I mean, was it just a case of making managerial appointments that
3: just weren't right for the club at the time? Listen, I could I could sit here now and, and start having a go at people. I don't think you know in the current times. I don't want to be personal with with anyone. I read Terry Butcher's book. He slagged us off in his book. He pretty much said that um, I was one of the reasons why he got the sack. Again, if you know if I ever decided to, to tell a tale. There'd be 101 stories about that time. I would put in any book, believe me. Mick, um, and, and Mick Buxton. In fairness to Mick Buxton, he was a good coach. I have to say, at the time, he was a good coach. He'd done well with his team at Huddersfield. They'd, they'd, beat, they'd spanked us a couple of times, I think, when he'd been manager. It was just, the team was breaking up. The spirit, I felt the spirit went, you know, I, I, I lost, lost a bit of confidence. It was, it went a bit. Not sour, but I was I was getting a bit of stick at the end of it, and um, probably deserved it. And actually, w- when it was time for me to leave, that was that was a disappointing time. Because it happened happened really quickly, almost overnight, uh, around about the Christmas time. My last game was 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 against Bristol City for Sunland. I didn't know at that point that they would be next week. I'd be playing for Bristol City, and yeah. you know I'd been there. It was my tenth season. other lads were were getting testimonials and. I hadn't been there as long as me, and or played as many games, and I was sort of getting kicked out the back door, which was, um, you know, when I went, it was sort of probably with a little bit of a whimper. Um, and then it was always the, the the biggest saddest thing for me still to this day is that I never got a chance to go back ever and play against Sunderland for any of the any of the clubs that I went on to play for. Well, one thing I was
2: going to ask about the move was, um, it was only three months before Peter Reid. Was appointed and came in and replaced Mick Buxton, and it all took off. Uh, you were still only twenty six. Did, did you ever think about what might have been if you oh, stayed yeah. until was appointed?
3: Yeah, and I, you know I'd got to know Peter a little bit because um, he was big pals with Brace. Spent a bit of time in his company. We played against Man City when we were in the in the top division. He'd stayed over in Sunderland. We had a night out. He'd, he'd sort of made a point of saying how well he thought I'd done. He'd also sort of consoled us a bit when we'd been relegated. At Man City, when he was obviously the manager, who knows? You know, who knows? He, and and the big thing that it, it's obvious what the lads are kept in touch. He just, you know, he, he got he got that team spirit going straight away. They got on a roll, and um, I'm somewhat. Although I had my time, and, and no one could ever take that away from me. And, and and some of the days I've had with some of them lads, some of the laughs that we shared. Obviously, um, he, he got all that going again, and, and I've heard many a tale of. Of some of the things that happened when he was in charge. But it, it goes hand-in-hand hand with success. If you've got a good spirit in your dressing room and, and off the pitch, that can, can definitely help you, your chances on the pitch.
2: A little bit unfortunate, but um, after you went to Bristol City, then after mm-hmm. Bristol City, you had spells at Notts County, Forest Green, and then you moved into mm-hmm. coaching and management, where you've had quite, kind of a list of coaching management roles at Bristol City, Plymouth Argyle, Motherwell, Gateshead, Recently, you were manager of Tokyo United in the last couple of years. Um, and now you are um, you hold the role of head of player development for the National League. So it, it sounds pretty wide-ranging, but what, what yeah. does that mean?
3: Well, it's basically um, what I've done in the last year, quite quickly, is, is set up 22 new licensed academies for National League clubs, which is a new concept. I've also started two new divisions for National League clubs in the north and National League clubs in the south, which which will add to. Um, when when football returns, so it's it's given really the, the clubs at that level the opportunity to develop their own players, young players, which is really important. You know they don't have the resources, they don't have the finances. Some very good people working at these clubs, by the way, very good coaches and some very good young players. So that's the end of that sort of role. Um, behind that, there's a situation where any of these young players that are under eighteen can be poached, if you like, from the bigger clubs. For nothing. So we're looking at ways of trying to make sure that it's a more level playing field, and that clubs at that level, non-league level, which are developing their own players, are compensated or rewarded in some way if, if the bigger clubs come in and sign their players. But I mean, I've always I've always been in football. I've, I have lots of experience. I've been manager, assistant manager, uh, head of recruitment, chief scout, head of community. Head of coaching, youth team manager, academy manager. So I have I have lots of lots of experience and um like I say, I love the game and then hopefully I can staying around it as long as possible.
2: Do you miss the dressing room and the
3: kind of the training pitch? Oh god, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean this is a different role. I spend a lot of time on the on the road by myself. There's nothing like the banter a in a changing room. Um although as you as you move into to coaching and management, you have to unfortunately keep out of that most of the time and and, and sometimes be at the expense of the jokes rather than in on the jokes but yeah it's you know it's a lot I always say it's like it's like having two lives in it which it's a long time since I played football I just I don't go around shouting about it there's there's you know you travel around the country one or two people remember you it's always nice when when someone still comes up here and like you're doing sort of reminds you of what happened a long time ago and like I say I'm deep down I'm I'm very proud of, of my association definitely with Sunland. I, I only had three league clubs up until I was 34, so I, I was always sort of a, a loyal servant. Everyone got, got the money's worth out of us. I played most weeks when I was fit. And uh, and then I went on sort of letting me create a, not to give a, a bit back, but uh, I didn't mind going and playing for, for enjoyment, a little bit more enjoyment if you like, playing, playing in the non-league, or actually it wasn't because you still wanted... You wanted to win every week, and there was that frustration that you couldn't do when you were thirty-five, what you could do when you were twenty.
2: Well, uh, let's hope you can. You
3: know, we get back to some sort of level of
2: normality soon, and you can you can get back into that role. It's an important role down down in the non-league. But um, just a, a quick note uh, before we finish, I have in front of me before we finish the Sunderland annual from nineteen ninety. All right. So in here, <laughs> it has a page all about a 19, 20-year-old Gary Hours. Oh, so of course, I might have seen right. that
3: recently. <laughs> a <vital laughs> so there's a question of- on there. There's a question on there, but let's see <laughs> if it's the right one. Well, uh, let, let's see
2: what, what we've got. Because a vital piece of information in this fact file is a list of your five favourite music records at the time. All right. Um, I wondered if you fancy taking a guess at, at what you put in there.
3: Um. Well, I love Supreme. It wasn't
2: in your top five. Was it not? No.
3: Um,
2: when you were 20 years old. <laughs>
3: 20? Oh, my God. Oh, this is getting scary now. Some <laughs> by Alexander O'Neill.
2: Uh, yes, yes. You picked Criticise by Alexander O'Neill.
3: What? Yeah, was it 1990?
2: Yeah. Uh, Alison Limerick, Where Love Lives. Nope, oh, That's not in your top five. Yeah. Uh, it's just getting embarrassing now. I can, I can put you out of your misery if you want. Rick Astley. No, he's not there either. All right, come on then, let's go. You've got um yeah. I knew you were waiting with George Michael, George Michael and Larisa Franklin. Franklin.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah, you've got Big Fun by the Gap Band.
3: Yeah, I don't mind that. I don't mind that.
2: You've got Easy Lover, Phil Collins, of oh, course.
3: it. I look like him now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And then you've you've got Criticised, uh, Alexander O'Neill, as we said. And then you've got um, Something Just Ain't Right by uh, Keith Sweat.
3: Oh, did I really? Well, I think I would probably just come back from Magaluf then. And I must have heard that somewhere. <laughs> no, times have changed. Times there you go. Been. There you go. I might have a read of the rest later on. <laughs> yeah, about so, uh, half past nine. That'll send you off for the night. Don't worry.
2: <laughs> Well, on that note, I uh, just want to say thank you very much for your time, Gary. As you said, you're a bit of a hero of mine, and I've loved the chance to, uh, to speak to you about all those great times, and, and we all really appreciate it, so thanks for that.
3: Thank you, and just love to all and supporters. Hope you all get through this tough time, and uh, see you all at the Far Post.